fourth chapter today. And I'm going to preach a little bit. I say that quite often, a little bit different. And I want you to stand in honor of the reading of Scripture, if you would, with me just very, very quickly today. We're going to turn to Esther, the fourth chapter. If you brought your Bible, if not, thanks to technology, we're going to put those verses on the screen. We're going to read. This is a familiar story. If it's not familiar to you, it's going to be familiar to you in a few moments because we're going to rehearse it. I always, there's a few Old Testament narratives that, that have a stimulus every time that you read them. This happens to be one of those. There's so many things that I could extract out of Esther and, uh, and literally build a, the entire message around. However, I'm going to highlight just certain things. I'm going to walk you through this narrative, and we're just going to uh, let the Lord speak to our hearts and make application as He directs and as He leads. And that's my, our prayer, and I believe that happens. I believe God orders our steps and such things, especially in the reading of the Word of God. We're reading at the 12th verse through the 17th verse. It's the most famous passage of the book of Esther, this passage right here. If you're unfamiliar with the story, again, as I said, you'll be familiar with it in a few moments. It says, and they told to, and they told to Mordecai Esther's words. And then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, think not, these are Mordecai's words to Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Now, I understand that if you don't know this story, you're, uh, this is, uh, doesn't make sense to you, but it will. It'll come together if you'll stay with me. For if thou altogether, Mordecai says to Esther, who is the queen now of the Medes and the Persian Empire, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? That's powerful alone right there. The 15th verse, then Esther bade them return Mordecai, or Mordecai this answer. Go and gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. And I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. Notice what Esther says. And if I perish, I Perish, And so Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Now, again, this story is familiar to many of us that are familiar with our Bibles. It may not be as familiar to every person here. But in this story are numerous principles and precepts that can help you along your journey of life and your walk of faith and seeing the providential hand of God. And I've entitled this message, this title right here. I want to give this to you. It's, I've got it in parentheses. It may not be on the screen, but it simply says, when God is, listen to this, noticeably absent. Think of that. When God is noticeably absent, yet always present. I want you to think about that with me. Tuck that away. We'll come back to it. It will help you as we bring conclusion to this message. Father, I love you, and I'm grateful for being in the house of God. Father, I'm trusting, Father, for a supernatural gifting, Father, of the anointing of God. And we... In this room today, recognize that you and your sovereign grace and ability have an ability, Father, to make men become the oracles of God. 
Father, we have an ability to be transformed right in front of the eyes of the people. Father, to communicate truths of divine Father, order and command and precepts and principles. And I pray today that today would be such a day. Now, Father, there's so many passages of Scripture that I could pray to articulate that prayer. Isaiah said you touched his unclean tongue with a coal of fire and made it clean. He was able to speak to the people. Isaiah also said that you would make his tongue a pen of a ready rider. Father God, your word is able to pierce and it's able to make a difference, God. And I just pray, Father that the gifting that you have placed within me would be maximized today. Father, it would not be my ability, but like Samson of old, it would be the supernatural ability of God. And Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's children said, Amen. And thank you. You can be seated today. I've gone back and kind of redeveloped sermons over the latter few weeks because I began to be drawn to the an emphasis on taking some of the stories of what we call stories, narratives in Scripture of the lives of the men and women that you and I would call the heroes of faith and journey with them because there are times in your life that you just simply need an, ex- an example. You need a biblical narrative, a written account of where somebody was in a similar situation as you are and that somehow God brought them through that moment. And not only did he bring them through them through that moment, he strategically moved them into a place where from that day forward they would be able to help others. And I have a belief that there's many under the sound of my voice that that bears witness with your spirit here today. Now, in the process of preaching for just a moment, let me just say this. As you study the scriptures, whether it be a narrative or whether it be a doctrinal truth then there is a, main, a means of application. First of all, there's always what was it written for originally. What's the first purpose of the author's intent? That's something that all of us should strive to look at. What's the original intent of the author? And then beyond that, we begin to look for layers. The Jews believe that there are at least three perhaps even four layers to Scripture as they apply to the life of an individual. And certainly beyond the initial audience that would have received a, uh, this letter or this book that was written, given the title of Esther, then there would have been additional expectations behind it. And it's my expectation today that God can take a document such as the book of Esther a narrative of a time gone by of a people dispersed and God is able to breathe life into your life through that word. I believe that today, don't you? Man, y'all are really making me feel like you believe that. I want to say, I believe that. I believe that I can identify with the account that's going to record the history of the Jews, Mordecai the Jew, and Esther who becomes queen. Let me go into the narrative. I'm going to simply follow the narrative. And as I follow the narrative, I'm going to thrust out there certain bullet points that the Lord's laid on my heart. And this is a very particular time in the history of the nation of Israel. It's known as the Babylonian Captivity. If you've studied the history of the Jews, you'll understand that the nation of Israel was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in 586 B.C. The sudden and uh, uh, utter destruction of the people, many of them were taken captivity and brought into Babylon. But simultaneously or shortly thereafter, the Babylonian Empire succumbs to the Medes and the Persians. And you can read about that narrative in the book of Daniel. And this account then is what we see at that particular time, the Medes and the Persians. So you have to understand that this is a very 
difficult time for the Jewish people. The Jewish people that had been in their own land with their own king and their own priesthood and their own temple have now been thrust into what was known as Babylon, now the Medes and the Persian. They're living in a very unfamiliar time. That's what this scripture and this account begins to tell us. And so the king of the Medes and the Persians was over 127 provinces. That area is what we know today as modern-day Iraq and Iran. And the scripture then unfolds for us that the king makes a feast for all of his nobles the third year. And his name is Ahasuerus. Uh, Artaxerxes is his translation, or Xerxes is some, but we're going to just call him the king today to make a simple-minded preacher from Wilburn a little easier in his sermon here today. And so the king sends out and wants to plan a party and just celebrate his kingdom, third year of his reign. And so for 180 days, they celebrate. He exposes all of the glory of his empire. He is the strongest empire in the known world at that particular time. They have conquered countries and countries and nations after nations. And so he exposes to all the people of his land and all of his princes of the great grandeur and the splendor and the spoils of victory. And then right at the end of the 180 days, the king decides that he's going to call his wife, the queen. Now, certainly the king of that day in the Medes and the Persian Empire would have had concubines as well, but he has one particular woman that is the queen. Her name is Vashti. I know many of you are familiar with the story. The Bible says plainly that she's beautiful to look upon, and so he wants to display her beauty before all of the men of the realm. And But when he sends word for Vashti to come and to put on the royal apparel and to be displayed in front of all of the princes of the kingdom, Vashti refuses. And when Vashti refuses, it mocks the king and it causes him to be angry. And it, not only the king, but all the other men. Now, you can weigh this out about the male chauvinist thing at a later date and time. We don't have time to dialogue there today. We're just going to read the historical narrative. And so the men of the kingdom began to think about this. And when they think about the rebellion of Vashti, they said, once that word goes out that the queen has rebelled against the king, then our spouses, our wives, will begin to rebel against us. And so this is not right, is what they began to conspire. And so they conspire with the king that the king would take drastic steps. Rather than having her slain, he would simply remove her from being queen. And in doing so, he would, they would also then launch out into a nationwide beauty pageant. That they would search the land for all the beautiful young maidens. And the beautiful young maidens would be brought to Shushan the palace. And for a period of one year, 365 days, they would be given all the beauties that they could uh, put upon their body. Aloes and oils and be taught certain things for one night with the king. And this, when they shared this uh, with the king, it pleased the king. And he removes the Vashti and he launches this search. Uh, and so they search all the land and they bring the beautiful maidens one by one. And the Bible then tells us, though, at that time that there was a young girl that was chosen who was a Jew, though her nationality was not known. And she was being raised by her cousin Mordecai. And this is what's interesting, and this is what we've got to talk about for just a moment. 
Mordecai had been one of those that had been a captive. So his life has been traumatized. But not only had Mordecai's life been traumatized, but also that of Esther. He's raising Esther because Esther was his uncle's daughter. But his uncle and his wife are deceased. And so Esther herself has been traumatized. She's gone through a lot in her life. She's perhaps been one of those that was taken in the captivity equally as well. And this is what, as I meditated upon it, I was drawn to this first point very quickly. Let me just say this. The parallel that we're going to make today most often is the king's going to represent uh, God. And we're going to just try to make that parallel. Let me say this. God can call you. Point number one. Write this on the tablet of your heart. God can call you in the midst of your brokenness. Let me tell you today, you don't have to come all together whole before God. God can find you in a divorce. God can find you in addiction. Come on. God can find you in the midst of the most uh, uh, horrific pains that you have ever known in your life, and that's where God can find you. Now, I've said this many times, and I'm going to say it one more time today. We often say this in the church, well, I found God. The last I remember when I read the book of Genesis, man hides from God, and God's the one that's looking for man. And let me tell you, God is searching for you, and you may even be trying to hide yourself right here in this church today, but God can find you. God can find you in your brokenness. And so Esther is chosen, and when Esther is chosen, Mordecai follows her to Shushan, the palace, and he stays outside of the king's chamber where, or there's a particular edifice or building that they give to the concubines, and it's there that she's being raised up and taught. And Esther goes through the same process as all the others. And so as I thought about this later, my second point is this. I thought about this. Number two, to tie into this number one real quickly before I get too far, far in the narrative, your personal trauma does not have to define you. Now, I think that's good right there because many of you, under the sound of my voice, you've been traumatized in life. You've gone through some very difficult and dark days, and some of you could be there right now. But the thing I love about the Word of God, the Word of God gives us biblical narratives and examples of men and women that did not allow the trauma of their past to define their future. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? And so, again, we're looking for the, that God is noticeably absent, but he's always present. Let's go just a little bit farther. And so Mordecai stays with Esther and to kind of see how this thing begins to unfold. And he's walking day after day outside of the court to see how Esther does. And so after a period of time... Uh, and again, we're not going to get into all the sensuality of what that might have looked like night after night. A different young maid is brought before the king. That's in a different era. We're not going to get into all of that. We're going to just simply recognize that when the night came for Esther to come in, they asked her and said, what would you like to bring in with the, before the king? And she said, I don't want to bring in anything. And she went in one night with the king. She came out. And the next day, after having been with all those ladies and those 
young maidens. The Bible says the king chose Esther. And that's a powerful principle itself right there. I just have to go ahead and jump on that. I can't let that one get too far away from me. The king chose Esther. Can I say this to you? This will affect every part of your being if you'll ever get it down in your spirit. And that is that you have been chosen by God. Oh, let me just say that. You didn't catch that. See, many are called. Many are called. There were a lot of ladies that came to the palace. Many were called, but few were chosen, Jesus said. And when you begin to learn in your spirit that you didn't choose God, that God chose you. He searched and he found you. And when he found you, he determined to redeem you. And when he determined to redeem you, he chose you for his own to bring you unto himself. And when that begins to happen to you, a positional change takes place inside you. Let me tell you, in this context, Esther was, the, was, was, was living with a, a her uncle or her cousin who was in essence a captive and her, her parents had died but now in one moment of time she's now the queen of the empire that was responsible for the destruction of her people. I'm telling you, God can turn things around. And listen very quickly. I just believe this. I believe that when your I believe that when your position changes, your perception should change. You'll see life differently. The reason why many of you still struggle in your spiritual mentality and in your personal self worth, you don't see yourself through the eyes of God. I'm telling you today, it's not by accident that John said these words. He said, "For God so." Can you even say it? He loved you. God so loved you that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. To redeem you and to purchase you unto himself. You've been chosen by God. And when you know that, you'll get up in the morning with a smile on your face. You may still have some difficult days, some challenging things can be in front of you. But you'll never get, you'll never allow the lie in your mind to say that God is against you. You'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, God is for me. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? You'll live your life because your perception has changed, because your position has changed, and you'll have a new self-worth that comes from what God and the value God has placed upon you. And I love this, and time won't allow me to go into it, but the Bible says that when the king chooses Esther, you know what he did? He threw a feast for her, and he celebrated. I'm telling you, there's celebration in heaven over you. Did you hear that today? I want you to know that when you heard the call of God and when you recognized that God chose you, then there was a celebration in heaven based upon your response. That's exciting for me today to know that my response to God, oh well, I'll just go ahead, and has created a spark in heaven for celebration. Let me go just a little bit farther. And so uh, during this time, Esther now gains the position of the queen, and she is doing all of her, her queen duties and such. But Mordecai now moves from outside the house where the young maidens are being prepared. He stays as close to the gate of the king as he can. He's not allowed into the king's gate, but he stays as close to the king's gate as he can. And during this time, he discovers a plot. He hears some information. A couple of the king's chamberlains have determined they plotted against the king. And they determined that they're going to catch the king in an isolated moment and they're going to kill him. 
And Mordecai learns about it. Mordecai learns about it, and he tells Esther. And so Esther tells the right people, and the right people search into it. And when they search into it, it's found to be true. And those two men are slain. And then the Bible says that it's written in the records of the king. Now you say, Pastor Brown, what's so important about that? Let me just tell you number five today. Did I skip number four? No, four was my celebration. But number five, real quick, let me go to that. Is God keeps records. Can I just go ahead and tell you that? Don't forget that. You're trying to journey with life. You're trying to follow the will of God. Let me just tell you, it's not always the big things that define you. Sometimes it's your attention to detail on the little things. Because God keeps record. Don't forget that. Tuck it away. We're going to talk about it in just a little while. God keeps records. And then the scripture says, if we follow this along, that simultaneously, as God has elevated Esther, Mordecai is not elevated yet, but is in the process. Something is at work. The Bible then tells us that there is a man that is promoted in the kingdom. His name is Haman. And let me tell you about Haman for just a minute and what I believe he represents here as we're going to get into it. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out real quickly as number six. And that is there is a plot of the enemy. Simultaneously, as God is doing something powerful in your life, the enemy is plotting against you. Because let me tell you about this man Haman for just a moment. Haman is given a place of prominence in the kingdom. And the king gives a decree that when he goes outside the king's gate, every person when he greets Haman is to fall and honor him. And he does so and all the Medes and the Persians fall and honor Haman. But when he walks past Mordecai, Mordecai refuses to bow. And this happens day after day, and Haman can't stand it. And Haman becomes the forerunner to Hitler. And Haman is so angry at one man that he despises the entire race of the Jews. And he determines to plot and scheme against the Jews for the destruction of the entire race of the Jews because of Mordecai. And let me just go in to tell you today and pick that up. As God has raised you up, you can rest assured the enemy has taken notice of your response to God. And you can just better go ahead and brace yourself because there's an attack coming. A scheme is in, at work. And so Haman schemes against the Jews. And he convinces the king to allow the Jews to be destroyed. Though he doesn't tell the king which people group it is. And out of his hatred for Mordecai, he despises the entire lineage of the Jews. And so he convinces the king to set a date on the calendar that on that day, all the people of the 127 provinces of the Medes and the Persians would go outside of their homes and draw knives and swords and they would come up beside their Jewish neighbors and they would slit their throats. They would destroy the Jews man by man, woman by woman, boy after boy, girl after girl, infant after infant. A date is set in the future. Mordecai sits down to drink. And when that word begins to circulate, about the date that's been set and sealed by the king's ring, here's what happens. The Bible says Mordecai rips his clothes and he puts on sackcloth and ashes and he goes out into the streets of Sushan and he begins to cry out 
in mourning and deep sorrow. And it happens in every city where the Jews dwell in the 127 provinces. And I thought about that for just a moment. Here's what I thought for just a moment. The potential of the enemy's attack should move us to warfare. Now let me say that. You didn't even catch that. I didn't say the enemy's attack. You know what we are so good at in the American church? We are so good at that when the enemy attacks, then we find time to pray. When we're going through the difficult days and we've gone through a relational issue or a health issue or some times or some struggles with our family, our children, at that time when we've lost our way, then we find time to pray. And let me tell you, if you wait until the enemy attacks uh, to begin to engage God in prayer, then it may be... It sometimes might be on the edge of too late. But the Bible tells us in this account, the date was yet in the future, but the Jews began to petition God days in advance because they knew they were not in themselves able to defend themselves against the people of the land. It was going to take divine intervention. Are y'all with me today? I'm telling you, that's why Jesus said, if the good man of the house had known and what hour the thief would come, he would have watched I love what Apostle Paul said in Romans 13. He said, it is high time to awaken out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. It's time that the American church begins to return to a place where we begin to pray fervently and seek God diligently, not just in days of trauma and trial. Man, I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting, but I'll just keep on going. I'm used to it. Mordecai then, this is where our story begins to become more familiar to many of you. So Mordecai sends word to Esther. He can't go before Esther. He has to use a carrier. And so the word is being uh, transmitted through this individual who's carrying the word for Mordecai. And Mordecai sends word to Esther. And that's where we get the context that we read from in Esther chapter number 4 when he said these words. He said, Esther... He said, now, he said, Esther, he said, now, you're in a good place. You're beside the king. He said, but let me tell you this. Don't think that destruction won't come to you just because of where you're at right now. He said, it can happen to you just like it can happen to the pauper in the street. But he said, let me tell you this. He said, if you remain silent, if you remain silent, he said, God will raise up somebody else. God will, God will protect his people. But then these words, how they echo in my soul, how they've moved me in my own life to go past my own natural tendencies and to say, God, I want to do more than what my natural ability seems to allow me. God, I want to trust you for something greater. Esther, Esther, Mordecai said to Esther, he said, Esther, he said, deliverance will come from someplace else. But he said, perhaps in the sovereignty of God, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, let me say, what's the point behind that number eight this, this morning today is this right here. It is this right here. It's that there are defining moments in your life. Defining moments that's going to dictate where you're going to and how you're going to function the rest of your life. Sometimes, I've said that over the last few weeks, sometimes the entirety of our life will come down to a few short moments and a few short minutes where we made critical decisions. That would affect not only our lives, but the lives of those that God has trusted for us to be involved with. Let me tell you, church family, when that moment comes, you need to seize the moment. And that's going to take me to the next point, because when Esther heard that, 
She sent word back to Mordecai, and she said, you know I can't go before the king. If I go before the king and I haven't been invited in his presence for 30 days, and you know what the, king, the law of the land is, is if I don't come in with invitation, then I can be slain unless he extends to me the golden scepter. But she said, I tell you what, that way she weighed it in the balance. I love that. My God, thank God. She said, I'll tell you what, if you'll fast and pray for me for three days, me and all my maidens will fast and pray. And she said, I'll go before the king. And I love these words. She said, if I perish, I perish. You know, we were sitting around on Friday night, Dr. Brassville at his cabin. We were sitting there talking as a staff and allowing Dr. Brassville to pour in. He told a little moment in his, in his life. He told a little moment about when he, would, when he was going to leave the academic world of being a teacher at a Bible college and, and leave the evangelistic field of being an evangelist. And he was going to start destiny. And in the process of starting destiny was going to be something where he could impact churches and pastors around the world. And, and he said this right here. He said, we weighed it in the balances. We prayed. He said, but we came to this moment right here. He used this analogy. He said, he and Sister Kathy, he said, we put all of our chips and we slid them to the middle of the table. What he said was, all that I've been in the past, I'm going to put everything online for this moment right here. Because this is my defining moment. I tell you what, I just believe perhaps the American church is at a defining moment. Perhaps we're at a place where God's bringing us to a moment where we're going to ask ourselves, are we all in or not? Are we going to go all the way with God or are we going to play church? Are we going to go all the way in and say, God, I'm going to be a light. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to raise up a godly heritage, God. I'm tired of the brokenness passing from one generation to the next generation when I can rise up and pass blessing from one generation to the next generation. But i got to commit myself to God. And you've got to commit yourself to God. And you have that defining moment in your life where you say, this is it, God. I'm going to seize the moment. I told the staff as well, our guys, our pastors and their wives, a, a little moment in mine and Sherry's life. When I was in the military, and we were uh, at Little Rock Air Force Base, and I was working in ministry at some level at MacArthur Assembly, but I had the potential of a military career, and I was progressing far beyond many of my own peers, and I had uh, obtained promotion in the top 10% of my particular enlisted class, and so I had a lot of opportunities in front of me, but I had a word in my spirit, and I had a desire to preach the gospel, and, and I know that the military can be a great thing, but I tell you, I felt there's something greater, a moment in my heart and life, and I I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision that was going to define who I was going to be. And what I did in my little defining moment, it seemed so little. Many of you could have looked over. You could have never even felt the weight of it. But I, I refused to test for promotion. And what that means is in the Air Force, when you refuse to test for promotion, you are ineligible to reenlist. And so what that meant for me at that particular time is in the words of the, of the biblical language, I was burning the plow like Elisha did of old. I was making a decision, and I said, Sherry, this is it. I said, I, I, I believe in the military. It's been a great thing. But like Jeremiah, there's a word shut up in my bones, uh, and it will not rest. Uh, and i got to preach the gospel. And I just needed a place. And I remember going up to Shirley, and Sherry and I journeyed through Shirley at the end of that particular time in our life. And we were searching for a church because I just needed a moment. And I remember as we were driving down that curvy road, 
road of Highway 16, I said this in my heart to God. I said, God, I don't care if it's a one-room church and a one-room parsonage. If that's a place where I can be given to the ministry full-time, then God, if I perish like Esther, I'm going to perish. But God, I'm going to do the will of God. You need to have a defining moment in your life where you say, God, I'm going to go after you and I'm going to lay it on the line. I'm going to be the man or the woman that you call me to be. Man, that's a good word right there. I don't know. Can I go ahead and pre? I don't want to cut it. Man, let me just see how far. It's right at noon today. Esther determines to fast and pray. Number nine, very quickly, you can't be afraid to fail. You can't be paralyzed by fear. You got to follow God. It takes faith. Sister Ann said it the other night in our round table. We've got to have faith to do something for God. We've got to trust the Lord. Don't let fear paralyze you. And this story is so unique in this moment right here. Haman, full of pride. Then when this moment occurs with Esther and she goes in, here's what her petition is. She said, King, the only thing I'm going to petition you is would you and Haman come to a banquet tomorrow and that I prepared for. He said, all right, I will. And so he went to the banquet, and they prepared the banquet. And, and, and he said, I'll tell you what, Esther, tell me what you're searching for. I'll give it to you for up to half of the kingdom. She said, well, she kept his intrigue high. I'm, can I just finish it? I'll just tack away with it here for a moment. i, I got to finish it. I'd hate to cut this good word off. Let me go ahead and finish this today just real quickly. And so he, he said, if you'll come back tomorrow and Haman, then I'll tell you. Then I'll tell you. And so Haman, he leaves the palace. He's all arrogant and proud until he passes Mordecai standing in the gate refusing to bow. And Haman goes to his house, and he's in anger and hatred. And he schemes, and he tells his wife and his family, and he says, I hate that Mordecai. It doesn't matter. I've been called to the banquet, but it doesn't even matter as long as I have to look at Mordecai refusing to bow. And they said, why are you worried about Mordecai? Build the gallows right outside the house. Tomorrow, go and ask the king. And he said, we'll build a gallows 50 cubits high, 75 feet high, and we'll start the extermination early. And Mordecai will be the first fruits of the extermination of the Jews. And this is where the providential hand of God. Let me tell you, sometimes God is noticeably absent. But he's always present. And so that night, the king goes to bed, and he can't sleep. And so in those days, they didn't have late-night television. Come on, somebody. No Jimmy Kimball to stay up and watch that night. So he has them bring the records of his kingdom in front of him. And line upon line, I suppose he's listening for something that will cause him to go back to sleep. Because it's not very exciting. And then all of a sudden, they get to a certain page, and it says... On a certain day, a few years ago, a man by the name of Mordecai discovered a plot where two men, your chamberlains, had plotted against the king, and it was found out, and those men were hung. And the king rose up, and he said, well, what has been done for Mordecai? And they said, well, nothing been done for him. And so the dawn comes, and he's still thinking on that. And all of a sudden, here comes Haman knocking on the door. King, can I come in? Because he's going to go and talk to the king. To ask the king if he can kill Mordecai as the first fruits of extermination of the Jews. 
And he says, uh, King, can I ask you? He said, well, yeah, just a minute. Just a minute. I'm paraphrasing now. Just a minute. And we'll talk about it. I'll get to what you but said. What would you, if there was a, somebody in our kingdom, the king said, that I wanted to honor, what should we do to honor him? And Haman thought within himself. He said, you know what? Who would the king want to honor but me? So he said, I'll tell you what, king, if you'll go into your wardrobe, apparel and will you'll get out a robe that only you have worn and if you'll take the crown come on you'll put the crown on this man's head and then take a horse that only you've ridden upon and then choose out one of your princes and put him in front of that man put that man that you want to honor on the horse and let one of your princes take him all throughout the city streets and cry out in front of him this is what God the king this is what happens to the man the king wants to honor and, and when the king heard that, he said, that sounds awesome. He said, that's great right there. He said, matter of fact, he said, I want you to be the prince. And he said, the man I want you to honor is Mordecai. He's outside in the gate. And can you imagine this? He also, I could just perceive this, that the king said this right here. And by the way, Haman, what would you like to talk to me about? And I could see Haman going, uh, it, it doesn't matter right now. And the scripture says that he did exactly as he had been told. I think I took this one away. The point that I, I got to go ahead and, and, and try to catch up with it real quickly is this right here. Remember, God has kept record. <laughs> Let me go. Can I say that? You didn't catch that. The little things that you do in private, there can come a moment when God said, if you were faithful in private, I'll honor you in public. So don't forget that. God has kept record. And so Haman does exactly as he is told. And when he goes back to the house, he is just in full-blown shame. But the time he gets back to the house, it's time for the second banquet. And they're waiting to take him to the banquet. And this time, when they're at the royal banquet, the king says, Esther, tell me what you wanted to ask me. And at that moment, Esther reveals her heart. And she reveals the plot and the scheme. And she says, and the man that schemed it all is this wicked Haman. And she points right to him. Now listen, when the king heard that, he was furious. He was furious. And he rose up and he walked out into the garden. And this was what, have you ever heard of the hanging gardens of Babylon? One of the, the ancient wonders of the world. That's where he went out to walk and to process all of this. Well, when he goes out, the queen sits down on a little bench-like thing for a little bit. And Haman comes and begs for his life and falls on the couch beside the queen. And about that time, the king come walking back in. Look at number 11 real quickly. I'll put it that way. The king will come walking back in your room at times. Don't think God don't know where you're at. Don't think he hadn't been watching you. I'm telling you, the king will walk back in the room. And the Bible says when the king walked back in the room, that they covered Haman's head. And I, when I read that again, I thought, isn't that what Paul said in Romans 16? The God of peace shall bruise the head of your serpent, or the head of your adversary even shortly. What a promise that our king knows where we're at. Real quickly, and I'm going to close. I'm going to make it as quickly as I can. Real quickly today. And so Esther said, what are we going to do? got to stop this decree but see the king was bound to the laws of the Medes and the Persians and he couldn't stop the decree couldn't do it but here's what he could do he could authorize another decree how many of you know look at this 12 point real quickly real quickly God's decree now empowers us to resist you don't have to take it 
You don't have to take the devil's scheme and attack against your life. You don't have to lie back and say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just going to be passive, and I know I'm oppressed, and the enemy's come in, and my family are on drugs, and I'm going through a hard time. No, I'll tell you what. God's empowered you to resist. God's given you unction and anointing. He's signed a decree by the blood of Jesus Christ that empowers you to lift up your voice and to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And Ephesians 6 says, when you don't even know what to do, you just simply stand there in the power of his might and so God's decree then empowers you to resist and so on that date then that date was allowed to happen and the enemies of the Jews rose up and they brought warfare against the Jews but when they did they didn't find the Jews a passive people but they found the Jews a prepared people that were waiting on them with swords drawn and then the Bible says that the king authorized his soldiers, his princes, and his rulers to fight on behalf of the Jews. And so maybe God's waiting on you. Number 13, maybe God's waiting on you to do your part. And if you'll do your part, he'll do his part. He'll bring aid to your side. That rush that comes through your home might be the sound of an angel's wing as he's brushing by you on assignment to defend you and your family because you got on your knees in warfare and began to trust in the providential power of Almighty God. So maybe God's just waiting on you to do your part. And then that story tells us, and I've got to wrap it up, that they won great victory and many of the enemies of the king were slain, or of the, of the Jews were slain. And the Bible says as an end result, Mordecai was now exalted and made prime minister of the land. Now you look at that. Esther's the queen, Mordecai's the prime minister, and Haman's hanging on the gallows that he had built to, to kill Mordecai. Don't tell me there's not something called the providential hand of God the 14th, before I expose the 15th, the Bible then says that Mordecai spent the rest of his life doing good to the people of God. Let me tell you, when God has elevated your life, lifted you out of sorrow and travail, don't just consume that blessing on yourself. Be involved. Be vested. I preached on Father's Day. Be blessed to be a blessing for the good of God's people. Lastly, in the last point, and Aaron's joined me on the platform as a close. Why is this number point, number 15? Let's put it up here. God is noticeably absent, yet always present. What do you mean by that, Pastor Brown? If you've ever read the book of Esther, you'll notice that there's an omission of the name God. Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim. The name of God is nowhere to be found in the Hebrew in the translation, in the transliteration, in the English, the name's not found. God is noticeably absent. But how many can say today, but he was always present. He was absent. And it's noticeable that the name of God is absent. But his handiwork is present. The providential hand of God moving things around. I just felt in my heart that I ought to come to this house today to tell somebody, to tell somebody. There have been times in your life that you've just said, man, where is God? Where is God? I can't find it. See, if you search and if you just read the surface of the book of Esther, you won't find God. That's a good point right there. If all you see at the surface level 
is Esther chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 9, last verse, you'll see no appearance of God. But when you see beyond and see below the surface, you'll see God all over the place, always at work. And let me tell you, that's where some of you are. You've asked yourself because you're looking on the surface and you're saying, where is God? God's been there all along. He's been moving. He's been protecting. He's been keeping you alive. When the enemy was plotting to kill you, God was working. God's kept you. God's kept you for this moment right here. And so I just want to bring you this word today. Cast all your care over upon God. Trust in Him. Proverbs says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. It's about seven or so minutes after noon.